Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at Disney's new classic film, The Lion King. We're also going to take a look at an indie film that some of you might have heard of, but most of you should definitely check out, called The Art of Self-Defense. We're going to talk about San Diego Comic-Con and a whole lot of Marvel announcements that came out there. We're going to do that in the middle of the show, so if you want to hear what's coming up in comic book film, hang out and we'll talk about everything that came out. I promise we'll get to all of it, and before we do all of that, we need to go over the news. The first story this week, Netflix, U.S. subscribers drop in quarter two for the first time ever in Netflix history. They are losing subscribers in the U.S., at least this quarter. They think they'll be on the upswing next time. Andy, what do you know about this story? So, as you said, uh, Netflix dropped or lost a huge amount of subscribers, and it was all mostly uh, attributed to the raise in price. Their standard package went from, I think it went up a dollar, and their HD package went from, I think, 11 to 13, which was apparently too much for America, for a lot of America, and because uh, and they noticed the, the, the people that dropped the service were the people that their price went up. Yeah, uh, Netflix said in a letter to shareholders when this came out that the reason they're speculating that things didn't work out in quarter two is because of uh, poor additions to the service, right? They didn't put out anything really compelling. Um, as, as a viewer, I'm inclined to disagree. Stranger Things 3 came out, amongst other things. Like, I, I, I would think things are looking pretty sharp for the series. I, I can't remember anything, so maybe... This does prove their point. But Netflix is never not adding things. There's always stuff coming to Netflix. I have a hard time believing that's the reason they're not doing so well. I have another. I have a few other ideas as to why they may not be doing so hot, but I'm curious. Andy, any concerns? <clears throat> any immediate complaints about Netflix? Please get your, so- get your soapbox out. Well, I, I think, you know, people are starting to get a little bit streamed out. There's so many subscription services now. Um, we have three more big ones to launch next, you know, in this year. We have uh, Disney+. Plus. Apple TV Plus and uh, HBO Max. So we have three big players entering a very already crowded space. Um, so I think that's part of it. I think, I don't know, people are cheap. They, they think if $10 is like the most they want to spend on a monthly service, uh, which is kind of crazy, considering how, mu- how much you get. Um, but the, the price matters. It, it, you know, it's turning people off. I should mention I misspoke earlier. Technically, Stranger Things Season 3 is a quarter three release. So uh, as far as I know, the only thing that was really compelling that came out in quarter two is always Be My Maybe. And I think you're right, Andy. I think people are, are streamed out. And the fact is, there's only more coming. Apple Plus and Disney Plus and HBO Max. Like, everybody has more to come. And between Spotify, which is music, and Hulu, and paying for Microsoft Office, which is a subscription now, and Adobe Photoshop, like, Companies seem to have figured out the subscriptions are the hot thing, and that's great, and I'm glad. But it really does make it tough to decide what you're ultimately going to use and what you're not. And and Netflix is just one of those that people can kind of pass on, I think. Yeah, it w- with some pr- really premium stuff coming out, like I said, Disney Plus, I'm definitely going to be getting, probably not going to be getting Apple, or, and I have to wait and see what happens with the HBO Max. But, I mean, the those services, and we're going to talk about this later in our middle segment of what's coming to Disney Plus, it's going to really grab people, I think. It's also important to mention that um, Netflix will be releasing their mobile-only tier, but I, th- but I think only in India, but that's, a, you know, a billion people live there, so... Uh, huge potential for new subs- global subscribers from there. Right. 
And that's good for global subscribers, but I still think U.S. audiences are important. I think shareholders do, too. Apparently, after this announcement, they drop like 12% or something, which in the stock world, I guess, is good. I should find a stock podcast to listen to, and they can yeah. tell me all about that. But uh, they're also losing stuff. Um, you know, as, as other streaming services come out, Netflix is getting pulled apart bit by bit. They announced that The Office is leaving because that's going to NBC's new streaming service. They're going to lose friends to HBO Max, which is Warner Media's thing, like... Other companies that have licensed these properties, Netflix, are starting to figure out they can make money on their own and they're going to start. And Netflix is really going to have to lean on original programming to survive, I think. And so now we're going to see how well they can stand. Um, it'll be a slow process, but we'll keep an eye on it for more and let you know if they do worse uh, in the next big announcement. And speaking of things that are worse, uh, Halloween is getting back-to-back -back sequels set for 2020 and 2021. Yes, the David Gordon Green remake of Halloween, starring our classic Michael Myers and the Goofy Mask uh, that came out last year, is going to get two more movies. Uh, Andy, what, what are the names of these films? What are these about? Um, so <laughs> what we have coming in uh, 2020 is Halloween Kills, followed in followed in 2021 by Halloween Ends. So it looks like this is you know going to be a, a trilogy of some sorts. Uh, the second movie picking up after the the first one in the events of Laurie Strode, which of course always looks like Michael's dead, but then he just always comes back no matter what. Um, so this is an interesting move. You have you know you announced two sequels. That's pretty bold. Uh, you're counting on on the second one doing really well, but the first one did. Uh, they made it on a ten million dollar budget, and it grossed two hundred fifty five million. I mean, that's huge. I think <laughs> I don't know the best way to go with this. You remember that soapbox I mentioned earlier? I need to wheel that out of the last <laughs> news bit and wheel it into this one. Um, why? <laughs> Hold on. Everybody's got to make money, right? That's that's the whole thing in Hollywood. It's all about making money. And I get it. Halloween made a bunch of money. It, it went on to gross $255 million and it had a $10 million budget. That is huge dividends. It's huge. And horror is a big deal right now. So I can understand wanting to make more off of this. How do you see this going? Do you, do you predict this will be a great move and they'll make a ton of money? Do you think it'll cause people to burn out it's only two more movies right they're not making a, a supposedly a saga like star wars or anything how do you think this is going to go i think it's going to go great it's one of these things it's it's a recognized brand in horror, horror when it works has really great returns because generally the you know you don't get hundred million dollar horror movies 50 million dollar horror, horror movies they're always small budget or micro budget you know that's that's uh blumhouse's whole model they'll make a three million four million dollar film and then make 50 million dollars so i think it's gonna work um and i think they have to really center it around the characters like the this trauma of that laurie strode is dealing with in the uh, in the kind of ptsd in the in this first film reboot remake whatever they have to kind of stick with that it has to be have real interesting characters and she has a daughter as well so that i think that's going to come into play um also I think you're right. I think as a fan of Halloween, I'm I'm a little bummed by it. I'm sure a lot of uh, hardcore fans are. I think I think fundamentally, what makes Halloween so captivating is he's like Michael Myers is just a bad dude. There's nothing like super mega evil about him or anything. And over time, as these movies have come out and they've expanded on what is an incredibly simple story that never really needed to be expanded on, they've kind of developed him into the supernatural being that is you know kind of has these mystical whatever and 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 the new movie kind of pulled that in it seems like they're really going to lean into that in uh, in these next two films so 
you know, it is what it is. It wouldn't be Halloween without a bunch of goofy sequels. What What is horror, really, uh, without having kind of sequels that aren't as good? It's fine. It's fine, is what I'm saying, and it'll be great, and I'm excited to see the new Halloween films. Let's move on. <laughs> so, uh, Avengers Endgame becomes the number one movie at the global box office as of this weekend. It's finally done it. Avengers has unseated Avatar as the highest grossing film of all time. How was this received by the internet, Andy? How did people take this? Um, you know, actually, I, I think no one really cared at this point. <laughs> like, it, it looked it looked like it was going to. Uh, like, I remember there was, maybe it was Star Wars that passed uh, some other movie, and there was it was like a big deal. Or maybe it was Marvel surpassed Star Wars. Um, and remember it was a big thing and there was this nice poster that came out and they tried to do the same thing for this. And I feel like no one really cares. Like it's a symbolic victory and it kind of shows a new, you know, a new thing that's happened in cinema. But, uh, I feel like people don't really care that much anymore. Yeah. And I've, I've got a compelling reason as to why, uh, people don't care because it's not topical and it's not topical because Disney kind of, kind of had to cheat their way to the top. They just did. This didn't happen when Avengers came out, right? It didn't happen a few weeks after Avengers came out. I'm not saying Avatar, like, cleared the bar three weeks into its run or anything. It took a little while for Avatar to to beat out Titanic, which came before it. But they had to re-release it and add extra footage at the end to finally get it over the top. I think we talked about that a couple episodes ago. And, like, I don't know anybody that went and saw that. I didn't see any advertising for it. Like, it was just... It's like keeping it in dollar theaters just long enough for it to clear over. Yeah. It's like there's just no sport to it. You know what I mean? There's there's no there's no real competition. It's just like, yeah, I guess you guys did it. Way to go. <laughs> and I'm not saying it doesn't deserve it. I'm not saying it's a better film or a worse film. That's not the point. The point is like you j- you just kind of I don't want to I don't want to use the word cheat, but you have to cheat it just a little. Just just had to just blur that line. <laughs> just just a hair. And because of that, it it didn't just come out. It's not topical. Nobody's thinking about it anymore. And it just kind of gets slipped under the radar. Like, great. It's the highest grossing film of all time. You know, cool. Yeah. It, it, um, I think it is important though, because, you know, people talk about that avatar, it was the number one film for so long, but then it hadn't, everyone talks about how it had no cultural impact. Like no one can, no one quotes avatar. No one can't, you can't name characters. You can't quote lines. You don't like barely remember the story. It it is really forgettable. And I think this is where Avengers uh, Endgame is different is where everyone, it's the opposite. Everyone knows that film. Everyone saw it. Everyone's quoting it. There's memes. Our meme game is so much stronger now than in 2009. I was going to say, uh, (laughs) if Avatar had had memes, like imagine where we'd be now. My Uh, God. So I, I think that's the big difference is that this film is number one and it's going to have way longer uh, cultural impact it has. I mean, it's ten years of Marvel. It's worth mentioning that that in uh, you know in 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 good sporting uh, uh, spirit as you do in Hollywood, uh, James Cameron penned a, a nice little message uh, for the producers of Endgame, the directors, with uh, an image of Iron Man covered in those floaty mystical jellyfish kind of things from the navi planet that are you know all cool looking and he said you know congrats you know you guys for taking taking the big seat well done <laughs> see i Signed just like jim cameron i just like didn't know what that was for because that movie i haven't seen avatar in so right. long and it was so forgettable i was like what are what are these things what what do they represent again a- like <laughs> avatar 2 2020 coming at you watch out like when marvel one of the marvel movies surpassed star wars maybe it was infinity war you know you they had a poster of like you know a lightsaber being handed to Iron Man, it was a real, real cool moment. Like that's relevant. But yeah, I saw that Avatar. But I was like, what is he floating well, in? 
I mean, I don't know if you remember what you you oh, hold on. You know the Academy Awards. This is a real quick bird walk. Hear me out. Stick around, folks. Uh, you remember the Academy Awards, right? What was the year that Hurt Locker beat Avatar? Two thousand nine. Was it two thousand nine? Yeah. You remember James Cameron? Like he looked visibly pissed in his seat, like clearly. And I know it was his wife beating him with her movie that wasn't a three hundred million dollar ex-wife, Catherine Bigelow, beating him with a, what a, with a movie about a guy in Iraq and not a three hundred million dollar CGI sci-fi epic that was the highest grossing film of all time. But like, clearly the man has passion, and just like Spike Jones, like it shows. And and I have I have trouble believing he wrote that message in like the most well-meaning way. I think it was a little bit like, yeah, way to go. Yeah, good job, you know. <laughs> Here, I'm going to clap because I'm supposed to, but, like, he didn't... I don't think he actually meant it, and I can't blame him because if I was him, I'd kind of feel the same way. Like, you're right, they did beat you, but, like, my God, they had to re-release it? Really? <laughs> Come on, it basically came out twice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. It is what it is. Um, I suppose we should probably move on to our first film. Uh, I am taking the summary on this one, so watch out. This is <laughs> Disney's The Lion King. So, The Lion King is the story of Simba, a young lion cub in the Pride Lands. His father is Mufasa, of course, the king of the Pride Lands. And as he's coming up under his father, he's learning how to be in a be a be a big lion and grow up. But his his uncle Scar is is kind of a sketchy dude. And after some um, unfortunate incidents, Simba is forced to run away and ultimately discover who he is uh, and overcome that adversity and return to his pride land and become the king uh, that he was always supposed to be. Uh, It is very similar to the 1994 Lion King. Um, Some would argue (laughs) it's almost the exact same film, but there are a few differences and it's worth talking about. And I want to get into that. So Andy, (laughs) What did you think of The Lion King? So, <laughs> it's I'm kind of mixed. There's some great, great things about it. There's uh, a lot of things that don't work. Um, so, I'll start with the positives. It is a technical marvel. Everything you see on screen is computer generated. And I, I actually didn't realize this. I thought that they had actually filmed outside. But no, they didn't. The backgrounds and everything, they used like a game engine. Um is, is generated. And, I mean, the animals look real. I mean, they, they look like they could reach out and bite you it's it's really incredible on a technical level however (laughs) that does not seem to really help the story be any better or be told any better again it's just another kind of soulless remake and there's been tons and tons of articles and reviews who have all kind of said the same thing is it's it's not entertaining it's not exciting um and it's not i don't think it's just nostalgia goggles i think it's just the fact that it's uninteresting, and and the photorealism or what they're calling photorealistic animation is um, it just doesn't work when you have animals talking and singing. It it kind of uh, you lose something. It's all it's too real. I feel much the same way, but I have a lukewarm defense of this soulless remake, and I want to get to <laughs> that in a little while. And Andy actually presented this to me earlier in the week and i don't know if he even remembers it but i'm going to present his argument to him to him and i'm sure he'll agree with it (laughs) but we'll get to that before we talk about why this movie feels like a heartless remake let's talk about what works you started with the animation and you're absolutely right i did not know they didn't go shoot outside i thought they at least took cameras and shot outside and then placed these virtual animals in it no none of it is real it is all virtual reality it is all in, in, in done in computers. It is amazing. 
Not even like even if you think the animals look fake and you don't think they're photorealistic, which they are, uh, the the backgrounds are incredible. And and like people, I, I think because we see so much CGI now, people underestimate how realistic computers are at animating things that are still. Right, life is hard. It's hard to animate people and animals and things that move and touch and have a pulse and breathe. But backgrounds, they pretty much got it. It it looks, it looked real. I I really had trouble believing it wasn't real. Like it's crazy. The animals, however, they went for an art style that is very true to life, but doesn't make great for talking animals. That right. was a little bit of the problem, right? Mm-hmm. In some scenes, it reminds me of like one of those cheap Disney uh, VHS films, like Snow Dogs, where like they just have dogs and they animate their mouths moving, but the dogs are real. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how it looks, like because yeah. dogs don't have muscles that contort to look like eyebrows and and have expression. Um, how did you feel about that? So uh, one of my issues is because it looks so. Again, to me, it looks stunning, but. Um, I have a I had kind of had a hard time telling characters apart sometimes. Like the hyenas all look the same. There's like three or four different characters, but they all look the same, so I couldn't can't tell them apart. Same thing with the female lions. They all look the same, so I don't know who's who. I don't know. Who, I kind of have to really listen to the voice. Um, so it's again, it's technically impressive, but it it doesn't necessarily serve the story any better. A film that people that people pointed out or is the uh, new Planet of the Apes series where those are, um, or that actually uses motion capture and a lot of CGI as well, but you still have a lot of the emotion um, in the fa- in the faces and you kind of develop real characters. I mean, this, again, it just kind of looks like a <laughs> puppet show. Yeah, and you're right. Like, there, there, there is a difference between primates and having more muscles in their face, but the motion capture makes a difference. This is all essentially freehand, and it's real good. Let's be clear. Like, it is not bad. For the art style, like, you you do... I did kind of get fooled into it throughout the movie. Like, you kind of forget that, like, hey, this doesn't look realistic. Because as you're watching it and you're watching all of the animals in this little universe that you're experiencing in The Lion King, you start to... Like, you just kind of fall into the style. And you're like, okay, I, I see how they move and how they speak. And it is charming. And they're all adorable. Oh, my God. The animals are, are cute as I'll get on this movie. The bugs are cute because, like, why wouldn't they be? They talk and they're charming and they're fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a, a few key scenes, especially anything with a lot of emotion and weight, where it really hurts. Uh, I feel okay about spoiling this because if you've seen the 94 film, and we all have, you know how this movie goes. So uh, in the scene when with the, the antelope stampede, how about that? That's kind of yeah. anti-spoiler. Um, when Simba's obviously very emotional following a certain very big event uh his his voice actor like the kid who plays him is clearly crying clearly upset but like lions don't have tear ducts they can't like <laughs> contort their face into like agony so the lot like the little lion cub just looks totally normal but when yeah. he speaks he sounds <laughs> like he's been hit by a car like it's it's really jarring and like it just doesn't like it just took me out of the experience that happens a couple times for the most part it works you fall into it and while we're on it, the voice acting is pretty good. What'd you think? Yeah, that's what I wanted to kind of go on to next. Uh, we have some great voice acting. We have some kind of mediocre. Uh, Simba is good. At least young Simba. <laughs> You're going to call him out by name. Simba was good. Yes. Yeah, y- young Simba. Um, 
who I got. Sorry, I'm gonna have to look it up. Uh, JD McCrary. I've got my list here. <laughs> JD McCrary. Well, that was the other thing. So there's an incredible voice cast, but and some people do a great job, and some people there it just looks like their poster was put on the name, so you would go, not that they necessarily do a good job. Yeah, I hate to agree with that, but it's a little true. James Earl Jones is great again as Mufasa. He has such an incredible voice, and he's so old now. He's he's in his late 80s, um, which I can't I, you know I can't believe he's he's here. He's been here as long as he has, and uh, he just—he does a great job. Chewy Tell Ford does a great job as the voice of Scar, um, and then after, it kind of drops off from there. Uh, Beyonce is no stop, just don't. I'm sorry. I'm Be- gonna, she's a queen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna upset the, the <laughs> Bayhive. I'm gonna upset the Bayhive. Uh, she is okay as Nala, um, but but there's a lot of that. There's a lot of people who are they're a name, but they're just uh, like Timon and Pumbaa were okay. Like Seth Rogen, Rogen absolutely cannot sing and should not sing. No, <laughs> and no, he can't. I was like, why do why do they? I mean, he he, he does his Pumbaa is okay. It's it not too like it's, it's right. all right. But it's yeah. it's just like I said, a lot of people are are on the poster just so you'll so they could have a, a who's who cast, but you don't get the benefits oh, sure. of that in like, the film. Ke- Keegan-Michael Key and Eric Andre as, as hyenas, like, why are they in this? Like, they don't need to be in this movie. They both have eight lines, you know? Yeah. Um, You're right. Seth Rogen can't sing. I, I, think, I think something that's particularly charming about these characters is their design, and, and, and they're cute. Like, Seth Rogen's little, little warthog is, like, adorable. Um, He sounds horrible. And he can't sing, but like it's a, it's a cute thing, right? Like, and, and his character is fun. Um, but ultimately, like, they're just the same characters from the '94 film. And this is where we should probably transition into talking about that. Um, this movie is is almost shot for shot the exact same film, like to the letter. There are a few jokes that are different. There are a couple jokes that are removed. There are a couple jokes that are added. But like, the scenes all go in the same order. The songs all come in the same order, like every everything is the same. And and I've got I've got a, again a lukewarm defense for that, but I wanted to get your thoughts on that, Andy. I think that's to me that's what hurts the film the most is because it's so predictable and exactly the same. It's just boring. You're because you're sitting there, you're waiting for this line and this song and this joke and this moment, and so there's no surprise. It, I might as well be watching the original movie because I know exactly what's coming. Except it's much less interesting this time around. I had to get up and go to the bathroom during this picture, which upset me because I don't like doing that. And it feels like it disturbs other people in the audience. But I'm watching the movie, and I thought to myself, okay, I'm definitely going to have to go. I want to go before we get to the stampede scene, right? Of course, got to got to go before that. And that's when Mufasa, you know. Uh, uh, and so I'm, I'm watching the movie and I'm like, okay, what's going to happen from here right now? They're at the elephant graveyard from here. Mufasa is going to give him a big talk. Uh, Scar is going to do the be prepared thing. And then we get to that scene. So I got to go in one of those. And so I got up and went during the big talk and got back and like be prepared was on. I was like, yep. And then it went right into the next scene. Like I haven't seen that movie in a decade and I knew exactly what was going to happen because the first film is so memorable and so charming. And this movie is just the same same thing uh mm-hmm. now it was pointed out to here's this lukewarm defense one it was pointed out to me this movie's not made for me it's made for kids right who haven't seen the original and this is a new thing and that's very true and i would argue for the emotion for the music the beat for beat script and plot i bet for kids now it works just as well as it worked on us back then i would argue that 
right? I yeah, mean, you would you would probably yeah. agree. I, yeah. I would say this is this this is well, yeah. Well, we do have to remember this is absolutely a kids' film. It's a family film. Take your kids; they're gonna love it. You yeah, know? they'll probably cry. Yeah, the the effect produced is the same, right, as the original, which is now. I, I don't think they're gonna love it. I don't think it's gonna be like. A timeless classic, I, but they will enjoy it. It is fun. It is, you know, yeah. there's songs, there's great visuals. I did have a terrible screening of this, oh, not, really? not because of the kids, but because of the parents. Ooh. And I don't know what, what it what it was. So first of all, people came into the movie like 10, 20, 30 minutes late. They left 10, 20, 30 minutes early. Like they knew, they knew what was going to happen. So much shuffling. <laughs> it, it is long. It's a little bit too long for a kid's movie, I think. It's, it's a little too full, long. It's a two, full two hours. Because that, that was the brilliance of some of, the, of that 90s Disney's film. They were at 90 minutes. They were perfect length for what kids can kind of handle attention-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, no. so I had lots of parents... Uh, kind of narrating the film, saying, "Oh, that's Scar. Oh, get, what? Pay attention. Look at oh, what's no. happening." I mean, it's like, and there it was happening all around me. And I know I'm like, I'm out of kids' film at a kid friendly time. I can't be upset about kids, but I can be upset about adults not shutting up. <laughs> you should have you should have stood up right there in the theater in the blackness and been like, "Excuse me, I have a podcast. <laughs> I, I will fight you in the parking lot." I'm here alone seeing The Lion King as an adult because I have a podcast. Yeah. No, I I I I, I didn't have that. I noticed a lot of chuckles and laughter at things that like people probably shouldn't chuckle shouldn't have chuckled at. And it's funny this this Remind me to bring this up again uh, when we talk about our audience in our next film, The Art of Self-Defense, because that was a very different audience screening. Yes. Um, but uh, stay tuned for that. But um, I think I, I think it's it's a kid's movie. You're right. But where am I going with this? The lukewarm defense. Here it is. How do you remake a movie like The Lion King without making everybody angry? Right. You know, I would, what, what are you going to do like creatively? Are you just going to run in a different direction and be like, I'm doing it my way because I'm John Favreau, the director of this film, and I directed the Jungle Book. And now, I, damn it, I'm taking this thing by the reins. Or do you make it as safe as you can and just go, you know what? A lot of people hold this movie really near and really dear to their hearts. And we need to respect that and also show this to new audiences. Like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. So how do you remake The Lion King without making somebody angry? Okay, Is so, there a way to do it? Yeah, so I want to point to uh, the Netflix Jungle Book movie that came out a year or two after the John Favreau Jungle Book. Um, that retold a story that we were all familiar with, with a more... Uh, it was actually a much darker film and very different. Didn't have songs. And all, all the characters were different as as well. Great voice acting, particularly by Christian Bale, um, so you tell the same story in a different way, in a more maybe mature way. Maybe you do uh, computer animation. That, that's what I was thinking. Like instead of this, the photorealism, do something not like Pixar, but you know, I was thinking, you know, Spider-Man into the into the Spider Verse just came out last year, and it was an incredible piece of animation. Like do something new, and you know, I would like to. You could tell maybe a more grown-up story. Maybe you leave out all the songs. Like you could tell that same story, remake the movie in a different way and it could still be interesting. Now it may not get the kind of numbers and have the kind of success that this movie has made. Cause that's important to know it did made 185 million. It is their most successful opening weekend for live action or animated fully realistic remake. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think you're right. And I think what's most damning about this, like I'm, I'm not saying it had to be different. Like, and I get it's a remake. Like it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, 
it's not a do-over, all right? It's just a redo of what came before. But, like, it it was so frustrating listening to, like, something as prolific as The Circle of Life and just seeing the most heartless redo. <laughs> like, and there's passion in it. There is. Like, I'm not, I'm not, it's not, it's not like they didn't do any work, all right? It, it, it is a lot of effort and hundreds of VFX artists and, and, and creatives worked on this to make it, like, this truly heartfelt thing. But, like... There's just, there's this theme in The Lion King of, like, you know, rebirth and recreation and how everything comes back around and how people are meant for something bigger and more. And you're seeing it on screen for the second time in what is clearly just a cash grab. And it's like, God, like, you, it's like you forgot the whole thing. You forgot the whole reason behind this movie. And now you're just making it for the money. And, like, it just sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, and... You know, a good contrast. Sorry. A good contrast is the Lion King musical, uh, which which I've had the pleasure of seeing. And it's the same story, but you have because it's a stage, because you're you have songs and costumes. It's a completely different experience. There's a new sure. there's there's a new song in the in the musical version or song that's not in the movie. Um, that's re- that's really good as well. Uh, speaking of which, there are I think there's one or two new songs in the, in this completely forgettable. Didn't work. Um, yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's one in particular that I'm thinking of during a scene. It's a scene when Simba's running back to the Pride Lands. And yeah. I, th- I think it's a Beyonce track. I don't yeah. actually know. But completely forgettable. I-, I couldn't even hum it. And like, like really? You guys jammed this into the Lion King? <laughs> like, how did the- Is this what you had to do to land Beyonce? You had to convince her to... I don't know. Like, ultimately, like walking away from this movie, I can't help but feel like if you want to see it, like just go back and watch the original. It's tighter. It's more colorful. Like it's arguably the voice acting's better. Yeah, the writing is arguably again tighter. Like because it's a shorter runtime. Um, the songs are better. Like I don't I don't know. I I have trouble saying. Like I don't I don't mean to sound like a nostalgia hound or anything. Like but the original's better. But like, I think I think we might be reaching that point with these Disney remakes. Like just go watch the original. It's just as good. When you're remaking it shot for shot, beat for beat, and there's no point to watch a. a mildly different version i would have rather have seen a you know a, a 25th anniversary screening of of the original lion king yeah i want I, I i need everybody listening to this podcast to know i got out of this movie and the first thing i wanted to do was just go back and watch the original it's mm-hmm. just a better film like i think in in my humble opinion as a podcast reviewer so speaking of reviews andy you ready ready to wrap this this thing up i am would you recommend the lion king uh, yes and no. So it's it's clear. Well, it's clear. It, it is for certain audiences. It is for families. It is for young children. You know, children that haven't seen the original and probably because that's twenty five years, years old now. It is absolutely for that audience. Take your kids. They'll have a, they'll have a good time. It is too long. Um, there's some dark kind of areas, which reminds me they redid the "Be Prepared" song, and it didn't wasn't near as good. Um, but uh, as an art piece of art, it's just really disappointing. It technically looks brilliant, but it's it's the exact same story, told the exact same way that we've seen before. I think I'm in agreement. I think it is charming, and it's worth saying that the animation is gorgeous, and for what it's worth, it still hits the emotional beats of the original. It does. The songs are just as powerful. I think the scenes that are really emotionally gripping are still gripping it still produces the same sensation as the original it's just not quite as bright you know you you just you can't it didn't quite catch that bit of fairy dust that made the original so special it just isn't there 
um, it's still very good and it's very compelling. It's a little long in the tooth, um, but for what it's worth, I don't know. I think I'm. I guess see it. <laughs> I don't know. I want to I say mean, pass, it, it, but like I can't. I can't tell people to pass in the Lion King. It's still a great movie. Well, um, it's just you know. I, I would say if you're a huge Disney fan, if you love the Lion King, if you grew up with them, yeah, you're probably gonna want to see it. And you'll you, like you're not gonna be angry or anything. It, it's yeah. a well-made movie. It's got a great. It's got all the production value of what you want yep. in a movie. It's just for purveyors of bold cinema. There's it's just lacking. Yes, uh, the spectacle is fantastic. I saw it in IMAX. Encouraged there. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's still just as much fun. Take take a date. Take a friend. Take your kids. You know, have a good time. It's Lion King. It's great. <sighs> and with that, I know we're both just sighing through that whole review. And with that, we should move on to our next segment. Before we get there, just a, a brief a checkpoint here, a post. Please, please stick around for the art of self defense. We're getting to it. We'll talk about it. But just before we get there, uh, we need to talk about San Diego Comic-Con was this last weekend. There are a ton of announcements that came out of there. And I'm going to take a back seat on this one because I'm going to be honest. I did not keep up with it as well as I probably should for my podcast research. But our dear friend and correspondent Andrew Draper was all over it. So, Andy, (laughs) please, what was going on at San Diego Comic-Con? What do we need to know? So, Marvel has been tight-lipped about Phase 4 you know, what's happening after Endgame, what's happening after uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. And we finally got some information and news at San Diego Comic-Con this past weekend. uh, weekend. So, and lots going on. Uh, Marvel pretty much announced a bunch of films and TV shows. Um, So we're going to get into it. And we're going to mostly... Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) I was going to say, before we get too far down the road, what is the difference between Phase 3 and Phase 4? Why is this supposed to be some kind of new chapter? What 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 is supposed to be enticing people to come back and watch their 25th comic book film? Uh, that's a good, great question. I mean, Phase 3 was the events leading up through, basically between Avengers 2 and Avengers Endgame is Phase 3, and with the epilogue of Spider-Man Far From Home. So, obviously they want to keep making movies, so we're moving into what is going to be Phase 4. Yes, new people, new new things happening, a new world to discover, right? New new Marvel adventures in Phase 4 to come. Right. So the first film that's going to be out is the long-rumored Black Widow film that they've been talking forever, and DC was actually the first one to make a female superhero uh, film, uh, so kudos to them. Uh, but this is going to be the first film. It will come out May 1st, 2020. So we... Um, Oh, so about, you know, 10 months away. So we do have a break uh, between Marvel stuff, um, which is, is nice for a number of reasons. Uh, this film is going to start, star, of course, Scarlett Johansson, David Harbour, Florence Pugh, O.T. Fangbell, I don't know who that is, and Rachel Weisz. Now, it's worth mentioning, this is a film podcast, but some of these announcements are concerning Disney+, Plus, the new streaming platform, and kind of their streaming television show kind of services. And I should ask, because Andy put this outline together, is it worth talking about those here, or should we just stick to cinematic films? Because I, I can mean, go either way. I mean, I think we can mention, mention them as we kind of go through the films. Okay. Uh, well, then, uh, then the next kind of thing coming up after Black Widow in fall 2020, right? They're going to do The Falcon and Winter Soldier. That's going to be a follow-up to, I guess, Avengers Endgame and some of the events that happened at the end of that film. Considering it's the highest grossing film of all time, you all probably know what I'm talking about, but this is regarding, of course, Captain America, his shield, and where things are going. Uh, so that'll be something to look forward to. Right. Uh, next on the uh, the film 
um, real is uh, Marvel's The The Eternals, which I don't know anything about this movie, but this is supposed to be their kind of big new property that, that they're going to bring to the screen. Uh, it's going to star Angelina Jolie. Um, gosh, I don't actually have any other names along with that. Uh, that's going to be November of 2020. So that means we are getting two Marvel films in 2020, but we're getting a pretty big, long break but between there. So I think that that's good. It's good to give everyone a break. Shortly after in 2021, uh, in February. So this is going to be in two years. You're going to be going to see this uh, at Val- on Valentine's. So keep an eye out for this. Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings. This is going to be a long-awaited Marvel property starring an Asian lead. The first Asian lead in a Marvel movie to date. Shang-Chi is... Um, Again, I don't really know. I, I know he's of he's a, uh, he's a Chinese superhero. I was gonna I say Eastern uh, kind kind of kind of property, and it's involving his uh, facing off against the Ten Rings organization that was in, introduced in Iron Man. I want to say that was Iron Man three. Oh wow, I didn't even that was a thing. So watch out for that if you're a big Iron Man three fan. Shang Chi is gonna blow you away. What's next, Andy? Um, just a, a quick TV thing. We're gonna have WandaVision, which is uh, gonna be Scarlet Witch and Vision are gonna have a Disney Plus TV s- series, which will then lead us into May of 2021. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Um, and this is something I'm really looking forward to. I really enjoyed Doctor Strange, and I think they had some really incredible visuals, so I'm interested to see where they're going to go next with his character. I'm excited about this one as well, and I'll tell you why. One, because this one's supposed to be the first spooky Marvel film, which is exciting, because it's going to be scary, and also PG-13, they made that very clear. Uh, And also, I like this Doctor Strange in title scheme. I like that a lot. It's a very comic booky thing, right? Yeah. You take a character you know and drop them in a setting you don't. Thor Ragnarok did that, and it was actually really effective. Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings seems to be doing something similar. But I'm into that. I'm into the spooky. It's probably the one I'm most excited of of all of these. In spring of 2021, we're going to have Disney Plus uh, Loki series, right? Loki from The Avengers is getting his own series in Disney. That's our... Second Disney series in here, so mm-hmm. keep an eye out for that. Loki will get his own thing. Um, right, and it's important to know that these series are going to star these these the original actors. So Tom Hiddleston is going to play Loki, and Anthony Mack is going to still play Falcon, Sebastian Stan, Winter Soldier. So they're you know they're bringing the big screen actors to this the smaller screen series, which is a big deal because generally that doesn't happen. Um, then in summer twenty twenty one, we get a property called What If, which I don't know anything about. No. Um, it's just it's on the slate, so I'm sure it's a big big deal. We're gonna get a Hawkeye TV show on Disney Plus in fall 2021. And Zach, please uh, round us out. Right. Uh, let me scroll all the way back down to the bottom of this list. Uh, we're gonna be. Did you? Sorry. Did you mention fall 2021? Did I miss yep. that? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, in November of 2021, three years from now, two years from now. <laughs> We're going to be getting Thor 4. It's going to be called Thor Love and Thunder. It is the fourth film in the Thor franchise. Our director from Thor 3 is returning, Taika Waititi. But we are getting a new Thor. Jane Foster, played by Natalie Portman in the previous Thor films, will be the new Thor. Which is a very exciting announcement. A lot Mm -hmm. of people have some hot takes on it. And I'm sure we have them on this podcast. (laughs) Andy, any hot takes on Thor Love and Thunder and a female Thor? Yeah, so uh, a few years back, uh, Jane Foster in the comics took up the the mantle and you know became worthy, and she wields Thor, and she's got this really cool uh, costume. 
so I I was figure I figured it was a matter of time before they brought it to the screen because it's gonna you know it's a female superhero wielding the hammer. It's got everything. I'm am really surprised that Natalie Portman is coming back because she was pretty much not interested at all in in the MCU after I guess this is the second uh, Thor: The Dark World. Uh, she wasn't interested in it at all, and what has not appeared in any of the movies. Um, they they use old footage for Endgame when we when we see her in that. So I, I was really surprised by that, but I I think she'll be fine, and I'm really anxious to see what that's going to look like, what the costume is going to look like, uh, and that whole story. And then uh, finally, it's important to know that we they also announced a a Blade film starring. Um, oh, I'm blanking now. Mahershala Ali. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Um, when that that just came out of nowhere, and that's super exciting. Of course, Blade was made in the late '90s, starring Wesley Snipes, and uh, was technically a comic book film, but it wasn't really marketed it as as that. And um, they also made an announcements for a new X Men or Mutants movie and Fantastic Four. So Marvel's going to be busy. Marvel is going to be real busy. I don't mind the Thor four idea with Jane Foster as. An adult, as a kid, right, watching these movies, I'm sure I'd be super stoked on them. As an adult, it's kind of the same problem I had with Gwyneth Paltrow in uh, Avengers Endgame. I'm like, you didn't even want to be in these movies, and now you're collecting a paycheck on them. Uh, at that and, and our loyalty to the films, which bums me out. But I'm sure she'll be great. Uh, Blade, I'm stoked for. Blade doesn't get enough credit. Old school Blade, I mean. That was a comic book film in the 90s that was R-rated starring a black superhero. That did not happen back then, and it arguably kickstarted a whole lot. So Blade was neat for what it's worth. There were three of them, for God's sakes. Ryan Reynolds was in the last one. Who'd have thought? Um, ultimately, I think I'm excited for all of this. Kind of. I've heard some naysayers, right? <laughs> uh, which is okay. You know, I, I think people are a little burnt out on this stuff. I think that's probably safe to say. I'm sure there's people who have either stopped listening to the podcast entirely because we started talking about this or just kind of rolling their eyes and waiting for us to move on to our next film. But, Andy, looking at all of this in summary, some new properties, some old standbys, what do you think? I mean, you know, people have been talking for 10 years that we're in the middle of superhero fatigue and then Endgame just became the highest grossing movie of all time. So I, I don't think people are tired of these. I, I think once once they roll around, once we see things like, you know, there were some nice naysayers about, uh, you know, Lady Thor. But I think once we see, see her in costume on screen, I think it's going to be a different story. And, you know... When I, when I think of something, the Eternals, I've known nothing about the Eternals, but people said the same thing about Guardians of the Galaxy. Everyone thought that that was going to be Marvel's first flop. That, that okay, they're bringing like a C D level comics to the to the screen. No one knows these people. No one cares. And it was one of the the best films they've made. Yeah, I, I think it's worth mentioning that there's a lot of safe bets in here. It seems like there's a lot of new things. It seems like a lot is different after Endgame. But just looking at the rundown, what do we got? Black Widow, Winter Soldier, uh, Wanda and Vision from the Avengers. You got Doctor Strange, Loki, Hawkeye, Thor. Those are all standbys. Those are all safe. Like, there are some new ones in here. The Eternals is new. Shang-Chi is new. What if, whatever that is, is going to be new. But for what it's worth, like, a lot of these are safe. A lot of these are safe bets. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is announced in here somewhere. Like... Things are going to be okay for Marvel. They're going to keep making money. They're going to be around. So uh, that's the deal, I guess. Keep keep an eye out for some of these movies. And it is weird that we're not going to have any of these till 2020. 
Yeah. Um, it, it's, I, th- I think that's a good thing because that, that just leaves room for more, more people to, or more films that aren't comic book related to kind of, uh, maybe get some of the spotlight. And it's also important to remember DC is somewhere in all this. Like uh, they're, they're allegedly, they? they're allegedly going to be releasing some more. Mo- I mean, Aquaman made a billion dollars, so you better believe we're going to see another one. It's true. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where Mar or where DC fits in the, this film slate as well. It's true. And it'll also be interesting to see where some existing properties that, that seem to have not really been announced in here go. They mentioned Fantastic Four, which is a big pickup from 21st Century Fox, but there weren't a whole announcements about a whole lot of announcements about X-Men, which is something Disney owns now, right? Yeah. So they could easily start doing crossovers. I think they have Deadpool now. Like, they could start messing with that. Like, there's no announcement about a new Spider-Man film, and I'm not saying there has to be, but from what we can tell, there will be no new Spider-Man film for like three to four years which is a big gap. Mm-hmm. So there's more coming there. Th- this is not any kind of, of, of stop or slowdown. This is a brief break before we get right back into the swing and hang on tight because I would bet anything by the time we get to black widow, people are going to be excited about this stuff again. So yeah, enjoy the break. I guess <laughs> you're out for, you're out for summer vacation. All right, come August. It's time to work. Uh, speaking of work, we should talk about our final film of the podcast. I'm very excited to talk about this. I think Andy is too. I don't know for sure, yep, but I'll bet he's absolutely. <laughs> Andy has graciously agreed to take the summary. Andy, please, uh, it is an honor and a privilege. Take it away. The art of self-defense. I want you to tell me why you're here. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of other men. I want to be what intimidates me. You came to the right place. So this is a new dark comedy by director Riley Stearns, uh, starring Jesse Eisenberg, Imogen Poots, and Alessandro Nivola. Um, Jesse Eisenberg plays Casey Davies. He's uh, kind of a meek, small, shy, scared little man. He's scared of himself. He's scared of his shadow. He has no respect. He lives alone. He's bullied at work. He's socially awkward, even though he tries hard. He lives a very mundane and boring life. Um, and then one evening, he, uh, he he is mugged. He's kind of beat up by this motorcycle gang. Uh, and this traumatizes him. He gets put in the hospital. It's very serious. Um, and when he comes out, um, you know, he immediately he's like, I need to protect myself. So the first thing he actually goes to do is to go buy a gun. And while he's kind of waiting for that process uh, to take place, he wanders into this karate studio uh, down the street. And this is where we, we meet uh, the leader called, called Sensei. He has no name, <laughs> uh, who runs the dojo. And he's uh, Casey Eisen. Sorry, Jesse Eisenberg is really enamored by what he sees by this person who's a kind of a man's man, who's macho, who doesn't take anything, who can beat people up. And, uh, you know, he decides to sign up for classes and he he takes one and really enjoys it and begins really um, getting into this martial arts thing. However... It be it begins to be very kind of toxic when it it's it becomes clear that the uh, the leader sensei is uh, kind of insane and you know he has he's extra macho he you know talks about you have to listen to me- metal and your name is feminine and it's it's very much about like toxic masculinity but more than that to- the toxicity of toughness the toxicity of wanting to be tough and be alpha and 
kind of the consequences of that. So that's our, our setup. Um, Zach, what'd you think? This movie is tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> it is so much more than advertised. I, I, I enjoyed every minute of this movie. If it had been a half hour longer, I'd have stuck around. It is real good. It's real good. The Art of Self-Defense is a very good film, and we are going to talk about it spoiler-free because you don't want this movie to be spoiled for you. Uh, but we'll, we'll we'll keep it light. Andy, what did you think of The Art of Self-Defense? <laughs> I absolutely loved it as well. Um, it's a dark comedy, heavy emphasis on the dark, because, uh, man, oh, man, uh, does it go off, off the rails mm. about halfway through. Um, but I, I loved it because it's about so much. It Again, the themes, which we can talk about later, are really prevalent and and really it's a really strong film but um i i felt that i knew where this was going initially i was like oh, i've seen this you know he's gonna get strong and beat up and have self-confidence and it's not about that at all again like like i said it's it's about what happens when you become the guy who just wants to be mean the guy who just wants to be a jerk all the time because he doesn't want to take anyone you know it's it's this kind of a obsession uh, it's the the reason people like Tony Soprano because they want to be him. I was like, oh, he's tough. He doesn't take any mess. He beats people up. He pushes people around. He calls the shots, you know, and wanting to be that. But it's it's a critique on what happens when you w- try to be that way in in the real world. Um, this movie is what Fight Club was trying to be because Fight yes. Club was <laughs> was trying to be exactly that. It was trying to be a criticism of macho-ness and the toxicity of it. Um, but it failed because everyone actually wanted to go out and start a fight club. This shows this movie does the opposite. It shows you what happens when, when you decide to become a violent person. It, it's about cycles of violence and, and God, it's about so many things. Uh, I don't <laughs> take this off I my know. hands. <laughs> I know. Yeah. All right. Pass this off. Okay. Let's start with our characters. Um, no, let's start with our setting. I take it back. We'll get to characters. Uh, our setting is not reality as we know it. All right, it's a little different. Uh, we're not quite at technology where it's supposed to be. 90s. We're not quite at cell phones and flat screens. People are still using dial phones. All right, people are using old computers, like Macintoshes, old, right? Or like Windows ninety eight, old. I take it back. I would argue this movie might be set in something like nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, technology is just a little bit older. All right, it's not. It's not quite reality as we know it. And not only is our world not the same, our our views of masculinity are not the same. Jesse Eisenberg is the most milk toast cowardly sniveling like just wimp you've ever seen in your life his, his entire career that's built to this moment like jesse eisenberg playing wimps in movies this is the furthest he'll ever get like he, he needs to he needs to take his oscar now and run because this is, this is yeah this is get. peak this is peak eisenberg yes uh and it is arguably an oscar worthy performance like genuinely there, there are some nominations that should be handed out for this film uh and he is put in this world where masculinity is respected and admired and rewarded. He works with coworkers who are just dudes sitting around with their, just hanging out, talking about chicks and like they, they locker room talk. This, yeah. One of them, dude, one of them reads this magazine. It's just like the logo of it is just like the, 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 the astrological sign for a male. And it's just images of like bullets and guns women and, and yeah, Yes, like it, it's it's not even it's not even realistic, and so to, to try to become more of a man and not just an awkward schmo, right? Jesse Eisenberg 
has to toughen up and he doesn't know how and he cries in his car and he has this adorable little dog that he talks to and like he has nobody in his life so when things go wrong and he realizes i have to toughen up or i'm never gonna get anywhere he tries to take this karate course and he, he tries so hard to be this ideal to be this thing he he wants to become he says it in the film he says i want to be what i fear right i want to become what i fear says in the trailer too so i feel okay about saying that but this guy who he's just kneeling at the altar of who is this this peak of masculinity the exact opposite side of the spectrum who's quiet and and listens to metal and is hardcore right uh and is confident uh it's it's the exact opposite end it's the total opposite end of masculinity it's too much and like you get to watch these two just slam into each other in the most hilarious and often frightening of ways. Yeah. And it's so charming and it's so well acted and so well placed and scripted and written and directed and shot. Um, it's tremendous and it might be too much, but <laughs> now it's your turn. Okay. Here's so, so other, other characters, Alessandro Nivola, who is like a who's who of indie films. I had no idea. He's been in a lot of things that we have reviewed. And I didn't even uh, kind of pick up on it. Um, so just a quick, uh, filmography of things, uh, obviously, Art of Self-Defense, Disobedience, which we reviewed, You Were Never Really Here, which we reviewed, The Neon Demon, which I've seen, uh, which is brilliant, Selma, A Most Violent Year, American Hustle. I mean, these are great, great indie films uh, for those years. Um, and I like he plays the main character, David, in Disobedience, and I mean, he's completely unrecognizable. Um, yeah, and, and it's worth mentioning, two of those films were on our top 10 list last year. Uh, disobedience and you were never really here both of them tremendous and i didn't even recognize him and i did recognize him from one movie which andy probably <laughs> left out on purpose <laughs> if you if you remember it and you probably don't in jurassic park 3 this guy plays billy the dude that steals the raptor eggs and then gets in the paraglider thing with the pterodactyls and disappears but then shows up at the end of the movie because really he was okay he's that guy and you wouldn't think that guy went on to do anything, but like, turns out, jokes on you, he does a ton, and he's really good at it. And I totally miss this guy; he was completely off my radar. Yeah, I, he's brilliant and so versatile. And I also I wanted to talk about uh, there is uh, a, fe- a female lead uh, British actress, Imogen Poots, who plays a character named Anna. And this is an interesting choice. I'm so glad she's in here because again, she changes the film from being about toxic masculinity to just being about toxic macho-ness because she also adopts um this macho mentality and she is you know there's a whole thing with belt you know in karate there's belts you start with a white and you want to end up at black belt master whatever so she is a brown belt and she's easily the best or one of the best students in there and she's kind of passed over a lot but she's constantly trying to prove herself trying to prove how tough she is and um and she's brutal like there's a lot of really incredible violence in this movie uh but but she's a good foil to both of the other characters because she's also taken on this attitude of being incredibly tough and being incredibly violent and macho and i'm not going to take any trash from anyone um and it's a brilliant character and and good performance as well. And it's funny how much this movie focuses on masculinity, really. I mean, that's what it is at its core. It's it's an examination of that um, and a criticism of it, I think. But when I go see movies, usually I invite uh, Christine to go with me, of course, uh, my fiance. And uh, this one, she was like, no, no, it's all it's all masculinity and, and I don't want to see it. 
And I was like, well, hold on. Like, let's look at the trailer, right? Like, Jeff C. Eisenberg is the opposite of masculinity. And really, it's it's a critique of it because he's trying to be more masculine and doesn't really work. And through, like, the first half of this movie, I totally was like, she could have come and seen this with me. This is fine. It's all one-liners, and it's so funny. Yeah. It's so funny. Like, I know we're talking about themes and stuff, but, like, like my theater was rolling. And, it, and there were, like, a dozen people in there. And we were, like, just the, the 12 of us were just audibly laughing and jeering at things. Like, it was so funny. Like, oh, my God, it's funny. Um, and then it starts to take a turn, right, towards the end of our <laughs> yes. second act. And that's when I was like, oh, oh, no. Oh, no, she <laughs> she wouldn't have liked this movie. I'm glad she didn't come see it with me. But, like, I that is no indictment for people to not see it. Um, I do think it's a little heavy on the dude bro stuff because that's kind of the theme. And I think that's probably really off-putting to a lot of a lot of women out there. But if you've gotten this far into our podcast, if you've listened this far into this episode, I promise you'd be cool with this movie. Like you're, you're the kind of person who would appreciate it. I really think that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, one moment halfway through the film where it goes from dark to really dark. Um, and, (laughs) and only goes, goes farther down, uh, from there. Um, Let's talk about uh, kind of themes and, and symbolism uh, as we go on. It, by the way, it's important to note, like, they there's this kind of day class, or there's three classes. They have a children's class, a day class, and then there's this kind of secret night class that night uh, class. that you have to be invited to, and there's a, a whole thing. Color is very important in this film. As, uh, you know, with karate, like I said before, there's the belts. That begins to extend outside of that. So, you know, they have... He becomes a yellow belt, and that's like a huge deal. And then you begin to see yellow all throughout the film. It's put there on purpose. But there's other colors as well. Blue is prominent, um, the blue belt, and other places. So if you see this, pay attention to the color blue, black as well. So in that reflects, they've obviously taken these um, you know, belts from karate to represent lots of other things. And it was just a really neat technique and uh, just a really good piece of symbolism, I thought. Yeah, and there's also something you'd mentioned earlier, this escalation of violence and kind of how this violence begets violence thing. Like, as the snowball starts to roll down the hill, right, Jesse Eisenberg starts taking these classes, he starts feeling like he's kind of good at it, he starts to get recognized by his peers, he wants to be better, he works harder, he kicks harder, he starts jumping higher, he gets more and more into it, and he lets it become his identity, and he lets this stuff consume him right until ultimately it reaches a point where it's out of control it reminded me of one like i said fight club right one part's fight club one part wes anderson comedy and one part like whiplash right damien Uh chazelle because it really starts to spin out of control and and our main character is kind of swept up in this and ultimately has to kind of discover who they are uh to try to get into or out of it you watch the film you'll see what i mean um but i i loved that feeling because, like you said, it's like Fight Club, but it's done well. Right. It's Fight Club for the modern era by somehow setting it back before Fight Club would have ever happened. And, like, it really works well. It's, it's really effective. And as as our character progresses further into his karate status, right, as a white belt and yellow belt, and um, the film progresses and gets darker. And, like, it's just a lot of fun to go on that ride with him. Mm-hmm. And what – yeah, I won't say too much about this. The similarity of Fight Club is – you know, their philosophy inside the dojo eventually begins to spill out into real life, and that's where we begin to have some real-deal problems. Right, 
And like, yeah, that, again, that's made clear in the film and in the trailer. Like Jesse Eisenberg's character wants to become the thing he's afraid of. He's like, I want to be that man. It's almost like Batman, right? Like I, I want to be the thing that, that, that intimidates me. I, I want, I want to emulate that. And like, there's consequences to trying to be that thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Jesse Eisenberg is, he's, he just, he's that awkward guy at work that we've all met. Like he just doesn't fit in. And like, he wants so bad to be a part of something and, and he's smart and he's funny, but like nobody sees that in him. And it's, it's, it's so charming to see a movie. That's not like, you know, try try dating somebody and you'll be a better person or maybe move back in with your parents. Like, no, that is not the solution to his problem in this. It's like, no, I need to be more of a man. And mm-hmm. this is how I'm going to do that. And like, it's just so, fresh and i feel like i haven't seen it before and it feels new you know Mm -hmm. uh i wanted i was sorry mentioning themes uh there's a whole lot in here there's so much um we talked about there's it's about masculinity and the toxicity of toughness and macho-ness uh it's it's about sexism it's about sexual assault it's about violence it's about cycles of violence and um you know what? One of the, the things that it, that I kind of got out of the film was, um, you know, it's it's easy to kind of correct people or on the internet. It's much harder in real life to you know to to turn to other dudes who are like acting like they shouldn't and be like, "Hey, man, you need to chill out." And that's was that's kind of how this spoke to me, is that there are lines of i mean yes it's important to stand up for yourself but there's also a point where you're just a violent jerk <laughs> and you know and it's up to us it's up to other other men that was what i got out of it it's this only these cycles of violence only stop when someone stands up to it and bring and dials it back i'll be honest i'm about tapped out on this one <laughs> yeah it's not that there's not more i can say but uh, I'm finding myself uh, kind of circling back. Uh, what else have you got? I think I'm about ready for <laughs> sure. a review, but I, I want to make sure. Yeah, you got your time. <laughs> um, gosh, I mean, I could I could go on and on. I know for, forever. Yeah, there, like I said, there, there there's so much in here. Um, but I, I will say the movie is not anti-violence. It's not about you know you don't take karate or don't defend yourself. No, it, you know it's still about important to have conf- self confidence and reassurance and feel safe and all those things. But it's it's about what happens if you go too far. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I really enjoyed the most. I got to the end of the movie and I was like, I'm not even sure what the main message is. I should watch it again and like see what I get out of it. And I feel like it's one of those movies where next time I watch it, I'll get something different. And the time after, I'll get something different. And like, there's such a there's such a slim margin of films that do that in the world, you know, and those are the ones you really stick to. Those are the ones you really remember. And like this movie does that. The art of self-defense does that. Mm-hmm. It's tremendous. Uh, former reviews. You ready? Yep. Andy, would you recommend the art of self-defense? <laughs> Absolutely. With some caveats. Yep. Big time. Um, it, it is bold cinema as we, we define it. it is a great film, great performances, good story, great themes. This is, gonna definitely be on my top 10 list it sh- we sh- it should get some oscar nominations we'll see if it actually does it is incredibly violent incredibly violent so if that's something that you're squeamish about um and it's very graphic uh so that's the the one kind of a content warning uh other than that um i highly recommend i think i'm in the same boat um really enjoyed it i like i said earlier it may not be for everybody. If you're a little turned off by violence and masculinity, maybe not for you. But 
it doesn't it doesn't embrace it like something like I don't know Braveheart embraces it. And in fact, it's a critique of that. So if you can appreciate that, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, for most of you, like I said, if you made it this far into the podcast, I think you'll like it. If you're at all intrigued by what we're talking about, check it out. It will be available on um, video on demand services soon. I, I'm not sure it'll come to streaming, but if it does, check it out. And if you can't do either of those things, you still go see it in the theater. That's where it's best enjoyed with an audience. It's a lot of yeah. fun. Um, I, keep an eye out for this in our top 10 list. It's it's quality. It's one of the best films I've seen this year. The Art of Self-Defense is, is overwhelmingly underrated. It is a very good film walk don't run uh with that we should wrap the show how are we doing on time have we gone over oh yeah totally a little bit just a hair the art of <laughs> self-defense is totally worth it uh thanks for listening to the show this week next week we're going to be checking out i had it pulled up right here once upon a time in hollywood speaking of ultraviolence perfect quentin tarantino who doesn't love it uh we're also going to find something else to watch we're not sure yet. Uh, we know that movie's going to be three hours, so we might just stick with that. Yeah, that's that's well, actually what the way, how I was leaning. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, like a Tarantino film is is a lot, and I'm going to have to brush up on my Pulp Fiction and a couple other movies to get ready for this one. But uh, that's what we're going to be talking about next week. Uh, thanks for listening to this week's show. If you enjoyed it, feel free to email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com and correspond with us. Message us on Facebook. Message us on Twitter, on Instagram. We're around. All right, we're on all of those things. And throw us a follow while you're at it. Check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com. And if you can leave us a rating and review, that would be tremendous because that's how podcast grow- goes. That If you don't know this, that's like podcast etiquette. Don't just do it for us. Do it for everybody. All right. Tip your waitress. Leave, leave a podcast <laughs> review. That's the way to go. They, they hit that hit that five stars if you can swing it or four, but five would mean a lot. And if you can do anything, just subscribe. Just subscribe to the show. It's all you got to do. And we'll be on your phone next week and it'll be great and you'll love it and we'll love you for it. So with that being said, thank you for listening to Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.